still 2021 and all i want for christmas still slaps i don't understand what is in the it's song currently, it just, it's back in the, it's back in the top five of the hot 100 again it's just like how how can you do you know how much influence <laughs> that is do you know <laughs> no just just deep it do you know how much influence that is every a, a year constant bag every year a constant every bag. single year Hello guys and welcome to a new episode of Don't Let The Stands. This is season 7, episode 5 and it is the finale for this season as we wrap things up towards the Christmas period. As always, we just want to say thank you very much to every single person who has tuned into this podcast. We've seen some new faces, we've had some conversations with some old faces and we're just very appreciative and grateful for every single person who tunes into our very small music podcast and you know, listens to what we kind of talk about. We're always surprised by the response that we get to the music suggestions and conversations that we have. Um, and we just want to say thank you so much for making this podcast where it is so far. Um, we hope you guys have had a great kind of, you know, last few days. It's coming up to the Christmas period. Christmas is next week, Saturday. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I want to ask Shope how he's doing. So Shope, how are you doing? Um... I'm generally good. I'm generally good. I'm off. I've been off work for a week now, so I've definitely been taking this time to just chill, be lazy, a lot of sleeping. I think too much sleeping. I think in the last couple of days, um, I just put out an article yesterday. I interviewed Joyce Rice. That's now out on Dummy Mag. For those of yes, you who did. are, f- for those of you who are fans of her, you know, please check it out. Um, I think it's a great read. We had a great conversation. And if those of you aren't fans of her or don't know who she is, check it out. I think she's a great artist that you should all listen to. Definitely Overgrown is one of my favorite projects of 2021. So it was great to chat with her. And then in the midst of that, I've been working on something else. And I was just saying to Eden beforehand that, to be frank, I've just not been bothered to work on it. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm burnt out. And that's the thing when you're trying to do these side hustles and passionate creative projects, like you're so run down by your day-to-day job and then you're like, okay, I have my annual leave to work on what I actually want to do. But then it gets to it and it's like, but I still, I can't be bothered. I just don't have the energy, the capacity. I just want to sleep or lie down and I want to watch Sister Sister or High on the Hog or Squid Game. It's just like, yeah, or my random YouTube people. Uh, so I really have to like, tell him of his last few days is that it's actually okay to not do anything. It's okay to be a lazy bum sometimes. It's actually fine. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I work a lot. I do a lot. You do. But um, so that's where we are at at the moment. Okay. So just to recap, are we saying that we've written articles this year? Oh, yeah, I have. And we've won awards this year as well. Yes. So let's have a conversation about greatness today, guys. Let's just talk. Let's talk it all out, Wait, you know. We have a we have a sh- we have a show to do. So. I know we have a show, but let's just talk about greatness real quick because you know we have to reflect and shout out the people that are doing well in this life. So shout out to Shopee. Um I'm only doing this because I know he gets embarrassed when people kind of give him praise, but you know, Shopee did the thing this year, and I'm very proud. We are very proud as a show, um, and everything that you've done. Congratulations, and we're looking forward to the pieces. <laughs> the look on his face right now but we're looking for <laughs> we're looking forward to the pieces you're going to release and more of the stuff to come as well um but you do deserve a rest and i was going to say while you're talking it does sound um your voice sounds really lighter in comparison to when we started this season 
you know, when I would ask you how your week was and you'd go, looking forward to my Christmas break. We're in your Christmas break now. So, you know, you look really at peace at the moment, which is good. Yes. First of all, thank you. No, no problem. Um, on to me. Uh, all good. Like, all good. Can't complain. Um, I've pretty much... I'm winding down. I haven't got to the point yet where I'm on Christmas break yet. That is coming from the 23rd onwards. And then I'll kind of be done until the 5th or 6th. Um, but I'm at that point where emails and meetings and conversations and stuff, they're just not, they're not going to be a thing for me for a bit. Like I'll be responding to emails and, you know, doing my daily stuff. But other than that, I, I'm starting to wind down myself. I need to kind of get to a point of relaxing soon. Um, which is, you know, something you have to accept. And I feel like one of the things of when you work constantly on something, whether it's a podcast, you know, you're, you're nine to five, resting is something you might feel a bit guilty for. So it's about kind of working out of that and unlearning that is part of the process. So I'm winding down. I'm getting to the point where I'm going to kind of take a step back and just relax, same as Chopé, and, um, you know, get back to just chilling and just being by myself and you know feeling the moment more um but that's pretty much me i'm in a good space and a happy space and just happy man i really can't complain um cool what we'll do as always we're going to leave a space for the listeners just to reflect and see how they're doing as we come up to the christmas break um we are aware that you know not everyone has a family or kind of a large gathering or not everyone even celebrates christmas so we just want to say happy holidays to anyone who's listening to this podcast right now Um, And if you are alone for the Christmas period, we hope that this podcast and, you know, some of our episodes, you can sit with us as we talk about music and culture, um, but that we hope you have a great kind of um, time of reflection as well. Um, But in this moment, we want to ask how you're doing. Like, have you had something to drink? Have you had something to eat? What is your plans? What are you looking forward to this week? Um, You know, really look after yourself and see how you are doing um, individually. And feel free to just join us in any conversation we're having at DATSPOD, which is all social media platforms. And you're always welcome there. We kind of want to hear and have those conversations. So it's without further ado that we listen to a message from a listener. And if you guys want to join us or send a message and talk about what you're listening to or just anything, send us anything. We love to hear from you guys. There's a link in the description below where you can find um a link to anchor where you can send voice messages to us and we'll put it in the episode like this so take it away hey guys it's tolu here from south london just wanted to let you guys know that i really enjoy listening to door and Latin stance i think you've got a fantastic podcast in your hands and i started listening to the podcast earlier this year and you've got me through lockdown you've got me through 2021 which has been a difficult year for everyone so you guys just keep doing what you're doing because i love music and i love pop culture and i think you guys are one of the best podcasts to listen to about music and pop culture just wanted to let you guys know what i'm listening to at the moment i'm currently listening to tinashe i'm obsessed with tinashe she was my number one one artist on my Spotify wrapped and um, yeah 333 Project was really good I do prefer the Songs For You album though I think the Songs For You album is a modern classic and everyone should just check that out because it's a fantastic album and also I really like Gallant's Neptune EP and I think everyone should check that out as well the standout tracks are Dynamite with Brandy and I also like Julie and Scars so everyone check out Gallant's Neptune EP yeah so guys just keep doing what you're doing you're doing an amazing job and keep going on thank you bye Cool. So I'm editing the podcast so Shopee won't be able to jump in and kind of say thank you. But I'll say thank you from all three of us on this podcast, Tolu. Thank you so much for the feedback, but also 
your recommendations as well. There were some great listens in there. And I'm pretty sure Sharpay would have said something about taste or something along those lines when it came to Tanache. So we just really appreciate anyone who listens to the podcast. But thank you for sending something in, Tolu. And yeah, we'll go back to the episode. Let's go back in. Um, and we're an inclusive space, just to let you know. So anyone, feel free to join us in conversations and educate us about things we should know and all of the above. Which leads me to my next point. So educating. So unfortunately, this week we lost someone who was very important to black culture, but more so um, just human relationships in general. So we lost Bell Hooks. And if you are unfamiliar with Bell Hooks, she is a feminist writer. Um, she is an activist. Professor. professor. Yeah, exactly. Professor, all of the above. Author. Um, and she's written quite a few. Prolific author. Prolific. Very prolific. Yep. yep. She has written so many books, but the one you've probably heard of is All About Love. It's a book that I recommend to so many different people because the words on the, in the book are literal therapy. They help you really kind of understand yourself a bit more and where you come from and how you interact with the world. Um, I'm just going to share my thoughts and then Shopee can jump in afterwards. But Bell Hooks for me was someone who really wrote from a very compassionate type of place. She understood the kind of the way the world worked and the way that um, society was organized. And she really focused on dismantling that. Um, to a point where boys and men could be seen and understood um, from all aspects of life. And I, fe I, I felt that as a man, as I read her work and really understood what she was trying to say. She wasn't, she was someone who kind of um, really wanted to get across the point that although we can criticize and, you know, really attack patriarchy for all its ills, we also need to understand that we all pl play a part in upholding that necessary structure unnecessary structure actually um and i i was personally really moved by some of the words that she she kind of wrote in her books and like all about love when she spoke about the place that you love from may not be the place that you really understand until you do the work and understand how you were loved growing up and um another one of her books that she's written is called um the will to change um, which focuses on men and masculinity. And those are the two books that I've read by her, but I will be reading more books. Um, and that book really kind of just focuses on masculinity and how um, over time you kind of have to unlearn quite a lot. Um, and there's one section in there, and I quote quite a lot. So anyone who knows me is going to be tired of me saying this, but it blew my mind when I read it. Um, Bell Hooks was saying that if you if you really focus on trying not to create your father in the next generation, whatever kind of trauma you have from your father, you'll actually end up just creating your grandfather and it will just kind of repeat the cycle. Um, for me, that was like a massive like explosion in thought. Um, and it really changed my perspective on, you know, the thought of raising young men, um, what that would look like, um, having those conversations about, you know, trying to be better men. Um, you know, on DATS, we always kind of talk about how we're decolonizing, how we're unlearning, how we're trying to be better people and really work at, um, you know, unlearning what we've learned or kind of had to endure as being men in society. So Bell Hooks was a massive kind of inspiration for, for that thought or that kind of um, 
that kind of intention. So it's with great, it's with a heavy heart that I say RIP to Bell Hooks because her light was so bright and she influenced so many people and um, created so many discussions. So RIP to Bell Hooks and thank you so much for changing my life personally. Um, so Shope, do you have anything to add? I do, I do. I have quite a bit to say, which I know you're going to be happy about because, you know, I usually keep stream on such things, but I do feel compelled to, I guess, give um, a tribute to this woman. So, um, like you, like yourself, um, Mr. Mackenzie Goddard, um, I can definitely say she changed my life too. And it's not hyperbole to say that. It's not exaggeration. I'm not just saying that to say that. Um, her work came into my life in 2016, my final year of uni, and it was purely for academic reasons. I was writing my dissertation on the Harlem Renaissance, and I was like, yep, I'll read some of her books as, you know, secondary um, literature to expand on the points I was making about my primary texts. Anywho, so I stumbled across two of her books. Um, we Real Call, Black Men and Masculinity, and also Ain't I Woman, Black Women and Feminism. And so I read half of that one, but I read the entirety of the other one, We Real Call. And like I said, that was supposed to just be, I was reading it for the sake of, you know, finding relevant passages and relevant schools of thought that I could incorporate into my argument and cite, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know that while reading it, that it was going to change me forever and really interrogate ways that I was looking and thinking about my own life, my own future as a man and the other men in my life, family, friends and experiences that I had gone through while at uni even prior to that, especially as a black man, because the world to change is about men and masculinity, but we recall is about black men specifically. So it was a very particular nuanced experience and the various chapters in there. And so not only did I go on to cite her work in my dissertation, I actually cited it a lot in other modules that I had been doing that year and even some of my own work that I was doing as a creative later on I would cite her in. So that was just the one book and then Ain't I Woman, Black Women Feminism, I'm still on that journey, still reading about that but even that too, really understanding, she really helped me to understand that patriarchy affects everyone, not just women, it affects everyone. It really has the power to negatively affect whoever you are, class, creed, sexuality, race, whatever, it's coming for you too. And like I said, she really did just uh, reframe my thinking on so many, so many things. And that's only two books of hers that I've read, but they've had such a massive impact on me. And like Eden said, I definitely want to read and will continue to read more of her work because even just beyond her work in regards to familial relationships and childhood and sexuality and gender and race but I know she also was a cultural critic so I know she and that, that to me with the work I want to do in the future um I'd love to really read her takes on movies and other forms of literature and music so I know I definitely have more to, from her to learn in that regard but yeah I was very very sad when I saw that on Twitter ran third I was like whoa wow wow and it really did like dampen my day, it really did, because it's like, obviously I didn't know her, but her words, her work really, and I said it to Eden when I was texting him, I was like, I honestly don't think that I'll be the man that I am and the man that I'm growing into without her work. Like that, like I said, for him, it was the world's change. For me, it's Weaver Court. That's the one for me that 
yeah, that is one of the most foundational books that I've read. Um, so I'm very, very, very eternally grateful and indebted to her. So rest in eternal peace and thank you. Thank you. And thank you for what you've left us because the fact that I could she was so prolific, she published over 40 books as well as various journals and articles. So like, I'm very grateful to know that there's still more I can absorb from her, still more that I can learn from her and I can take from her as I continue to grow in my young mm -hmm. self. So, yes. Yeah, we actually had a moment, Shopee and I. Literally, as soon as she died, we literally just started texting each other and it was just heartfelt. Um, so yeah, losing bell hooks is something that we both kind of feel, um, as does the rest of kind of the black community, the black American community. Um, I imagine the black women specifically um, as well. But actually, yeah, she wrote a lot about men as well. So men, black men as well. Um, but yeah, she was a very interesting person. Um, and I was actually having a conversation with a friend just kind of like, and he mentioned, sorry, that, you know, she, have you noticed that she doesn't cite anyone in her books? Like in most of her books, she doesn't really cite a lot of people. It's usually just her thoughts on the page. And he was just like, at what stage do you get to where you can just do that? Where you can just write and kind of people just accept what you're saying as, you know, part of the... Um, learning experience but she was a very magical person her words were very powerful and um, that would be something that's missed the fact that we're not going to get another bell hooks kind of book or um, a seminar or kind of just a conversation of some kind but you know sometimes there are people that are here that are just here to leave seeds and I'm sure that she will um, influence the next kind of the next person to have the next part of that conversation it's like you know what Tupac says about he doesn't think he's the mind to kind of change the world. He might kind of um, plant the seed. He'd want to inspire. Exactly. To, yeah, exactly. Inspire the person who does. Um, so I think it's going to be the same with Bell Hooks. But yeah, cool. So that's RIP to Bell Hooks. And um, that is pretty much everything. So we'll go straight into the music section. So let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Cool. So I'm going to jump in first this time, just change the order up a bit. We're going to start with an artist that I yelled about quite a lot over the seasons. Um, but we're going to talk about his new album, which came out this year. So Jordan Rakai. So Jordan Rakai is a New Zealander and he released an album called What We Call Life. This is his fourth studio album and it touches on some very personal and introspective themes um, the reason behind this album was because he went into therapy for about two years to kind of just work on some some kind of stuff um, that he was going through and he kind of produced this album and when I say it's one of the most magical albums that I've listened to in a very long time I'm not kidding um, the title track what we call life um, for me listening to that was an experience that was just continuously glimmering. Um, I was sitting down listening to this song and just really taking in the production. And it kind of told a story to me a bit. Um, there are so many instruments involved, but he kind of sprinkles them in different sections. Like he garnishes um, the music with like piano and then there'll be strums of guitar, which appear just in sections, not throughout the song, just within sections. Um, but the overall kind of feel of the song, so what we call, a, what we call life, is it's kind of downbeat. It's got a downbeat piano um, feel to it. 
but in the background you'll hear like beeps and um, pulsating kind of strobe light lighty kind of sounds um which in a way for me when you focus on that it brings the the feeling up whereas i think the intention is to create a kind of conflict between feeling downbeat but also there's a kind of glimmers of hope at the top of the production as well and then like when he's singing there's like the strums of guitar um which for me brought kind of emotions of like love and um affection um and the, the lyrics were kind of just talking about um his experiences so he like one of the first things he says is um uh what was it do you ever dream of being in an empty room or something like that and he's just describing his family life and for me like there are just so many different effects to the music that it's just so vulnerable um like like i said there's beeps and there's like pulsating sounds in the backgrounds which actually sound like heart monitors um so it sounds like we're listening to a really deep confession um and overall when he comes in with the chorus and you've got the drums and you've got the the beat and everything all together it creates this really kind of um this this moment it just puts you in the moment that you're in and you kind of look at life and you're like wow this is amazing um so i would definitely recommend this album to anyone who's in an introspective space right now anyone who's currently healing or just trying to understand life from a different perspective um it definitely is an album that has kind of affected me positively and made me way more introspective than i usually am um, which i didn't know was possible um but it's it's a very very good album um so what we call life by jordan rakai and definitely take a listen to that when you can um next we're going to move on to sam smith <sighs> sorry <laughs> moving on to sam smith um so they created an album called um love goes that's it so sam smith created a song called love goes featuring labyrinth and the, the way i came across this song was i was just thinking about labyrinth as an artist because i went back to labyrinth's album the one with earthquake and um he is doing a lot and he was like the first independent artist to be signed to psycho which is simon cowell's album outside of x factor and he's still going he's still creating this amazing music he produced and soundtrack for euphoria the zendaya show on hbo and he's really out here doing amazing work so i i was listening to his music and that's how i stumbled across love goes and when i say this song really connected with me like the lyrics really connected with me um, because it talks about kind of letting go and that is a theme that is just really beautiful when explored because it's like the song talks about once you let go that's when you're able to really step into yourself and feel you know the power that you've always had and I just really appreciate the way that it was produced so you, you've got the kind of slow piano at the beginning and then you've got um labyrinth going first and then sam smith going afterwards and then it breaks out into this kind of dance track kind of um trumpet um performance at the end which is very similar to beyonce's which one has the trumpet on it um there's a beyonce song i'm thinking of that has trumpet i can't remember what it's called but it's I mean, a trumpet that could be a, that could be a lot of songs well okay then so we can say that then so one of those beyonce songs um <laughs> 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 not to get into my 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 beehive bag but you mm -hmm. know that especially on the b-day album the four album you have several options she loves a horn she loves yeah. a horn section 
she does and to be honest labyrinth has as well always because on that album on electronic earth he has loads of trumpets on it as well so love goes is a beautiful song sam smith and labyrinth and then next is an artist that i discovered on a whim um i don't know how i came across her music but i'm honestly blessed and grateful that i did so this is shanna spry apologies if i've connect if i've said that incorrectly we might have a clip to pl to play for the song so you know i've messaged her we'll see what happens if we're able to play it but it's a song called as above so below and this song is very kind of um spiritual in feeling it has a very kind of transient ambient feel to it and kind of listening to listening to some of the things she talks about on the song um if you know if you've heard the saying as above so below you'll kind of understand what the song is about um with with regards to like hermetic principles and you know the ank is the ank is very much glowing right now just to let you guys know but if you've heard of hermetic principles and and all of the above you'll kind of understand what she's talking about on this song so for me it's very it's very trance based um it's something you can lose yourself in it's very gooey so i would recommend that to you guys and hopefully we've been able to play the song for you so you can you know enjoy it. and if you have let us know what you think at d-a-t-s-p-o-d cool the next artist and this is my very last artist is an artist called S uh, sid shriram apologies if i've said that incorrectly but he is someone that i've been listening to since i would say 2015 if not earlier um he is an american indian artist um from san francisco and he makes kind of transient R&B, um, yeah, transient R&B type of music, mellow music. Um, he makes loads of kind of, um, I want to say Indian, um, Punjabi, is that fair to say? I have to double check what area he actually comes from. I'm not entirely sure if I'm honest, but most of his work is based in India at the moment. And um, he kind of sings in, um, I want to say Hindi. I'm not entirely sure, guys. I have to double check this. Um, but he sings in different languages and his his core base seems to be in soundtracks at the moment for loads of Bollywood movies and stuff. But he has a project called um, Entropy. So Entropy is a great project and it's the, it's kind of a song. It's kind of an album that speaks about like um, the possibility of everything. So Entropy as a word, it means literally the the possibility of everything happening. It's about randomness. Um, and there's a great book, by the way, that I'd recommend to you guys called How to Change Your Mind. Um, let me just double check, see if I have it behind me somewhere. No, I don't. It's a book about magic mushrooms, um, which might sound crazy. But um, the way what it talks about is essentially how, you know, magic mushrooms have been something that people have been studying for a long time that help with, you know, mental health and disorders and all of the above. But the way it helps is through something called entropy. And entropy is essentially the way that, you know, we as humans are very kind of um, stuck in our ways and our thoughts and our, our beliefs in lives, in life, sorry. And that creates a very concrete way of existing, a very um, concrete lens we look through. But when, when you take magic mushrooms, apparently, I haven't um, taken magic mushrooms, but apparently it creates a world of possibility. Um, entropy randomness in your mind that allows you to let go of quite a lot and that's where the healing comes in and why it's it was explored as something that helped people with um, disorders and um, traumas and depression because it opened them up to new ways of looking at life 
Um, and so the title for this album, Entropy, really describes what the music is about. It's a very kind of healing exploration of life and understanding. And the title track, Entropy, is really beautiful. Um, his voice is very akin to the likes of The Weeknd, for example. That's how I discovered him. He sang High For This on YouTube. You'll probably know him if you search it in, in YouTube. It was a very kind of viral um, cover that he released and he sounds very similar to The Weeknd so that's probably why it went viral um, but he's an amazing artist he's a great singer um, and he seems like he studies quite a few artists as well so I would definitely say check him out if you're interested in kind of the ambient space in R&B um, and kind of let us know what you think D-A-T-S-P-O-D that was a very long listen section um, but we'll move on to shopping now what are you listening to? Um, so I only have three um uh this week shout out to Ida Mackenzie Goddard for giving us such a diverse and varied list this week I'm very in intrigued to hear this Shanna Spry you've mentioned ambient electronic I'm like okay sounds mm -hmm. like a vibe mm -hmm. um and of course I love Jordan Rakai myself anywho so I have three this week so um you, you forgot Sam Smith shopping anyway <laughs> um <laughs> I didn't forget that. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So starting off, we discussed No Name last week, of course, and burning off from that conversation, I definitely found myself revisiting her debut mixtape, Telephone, which came out in 2016, which is hard to believe. I, just, I remember when it first came out, I'm like, wow, it's been five years, almost six years now as we approach the end of this year. And... It just reminded me of just what a joy it is to be a fan of her work and just what a pretty perfect project this was and still is and just why she's so special and why I really do hope she does continue and it's just such a, a wonderful mix and like you know I definitely feel when it comes to rap um, when it for me production is important but also lyrical content and and delivery and I think for her she was just great to me because at the initial about this point I had only really knew of her by her features like she had done some stuff with um Chance the Rapper uh Childish Gambino so th that was and Jamila Woods that was my introduction to her initially but then when I finally heard um Telephone her own music and just seeing like it was like you know i was getting some neo soul vibes i was getting like some jazz rap vibes and then it was conscious but then also it's quite funny and quite political and also she just has like this really unique talking kind of mumbling but kind of like slam poetry kind of approach to rapping in her bars and and then just the songs are just really really good but then she her and her and Jam jamila woods are similar in the sense that they can make um, black pain and black protest music sound really pretty and joyous and delicate because like songs like Casket Pretty and Bye Bye Baby um, these are like sad songs like they're really quite you know dark and somber in the subject matter even Reality Check like she's speaking about her own like insecurities and as a woman as a young woman and all that kind of stuff like you know there's a lot of bleak topics here but then you also have like, you know, nice love songs like All I Need and, you know, Sunny Duet. And encouraging songs like Forever, Forever with, which is probably my favourite song, with Raven Lene, who, by the way, wherever you are, come back. Wherever mm. you are. Wherever. 
You love Raven Lanay. I do. I do. I I I love her so much. And you know, speaking to existence, I will interview her. I'm doing more of that these days, manifestation and all that jazz. <clears throat> so um, yeah, I don't have much to say on that really. But if you haven't checked out Telephone before, please de- over this. I listen to the episode afterwards. Please just check it out. It's just such a a good project, and it's definitely what a great debut project. Such an introduction. I do feel it's probably more accessible than her her later work. I think from twenty five. Even me myself as a fan, that um, wasn't necessarily a girl. I liked it, but it definitely wasn't to me as it was definitely a bit more. Uh, what's the word I would use? Not inaccessible, but it was definitely more. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, you know, you guys know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so mm. that's where we're going with that. That's my first one. And then secondly, we're going to Janet Jackson, Demita Joe. So I actually going to shout out this video actually, because it was a very well done video because it's actually inspired this listen. So let me actually find this video. Because this guy does these incredible YouTube, I don't, I don't know if I call them documentaries. They're kind of, they're documentaries slash lecture talking things okay let me f- he's done a few videos let me just i want to make sure i get it right because everyone should check out his channel like he's just great so his name is calvin michaels he has a youtube channel and he has this thing called the so what happened series and he basically does these deep dive uh videos looking at album errors from particular artists and i first found him he did one about tlc last year looking at the journey from their fan mail album going into the 3d album and literally goes through their entire one of their entire career but literally what was happening in their career but also what was happening in the wider music context and also what was happening in the world and was a blackness at the time and he did one a few weeks ago about janet jackson's demita joe album which if you guys may remember that was the album that came out straight after the super bowl controversy and in my in my in my opinion it's been unfairly maligned and disregarding, disrespected, and people have actually forgotten that. Because obviously it flopped, because obviously she was severely blacklisted because of misogynoir, anti-blackness, sexism, all that good stuff. But not good stuff, but you know what I mean. Um, that album just did not get the dues it was it was supposed to get. That album, if that album just came out normally without that controversy, that would have definitely been another hit album for her. But even beyond that, over time I've realised, it's one of her best bodies of work, especially post her prime like you know post her 80s and 90s prime so anyway he did a very very good episode diving into what was going on with that album and the album before that Wolfie, which is also another great Jack jackson album that i love but um so after watching that i had to revisit the album because i've always loved the album always loved the album and for me as a young janet fan that was one of the first eras that i remember experiencing because obviously she's been around before i was born but it was one of my times like when i saw her on the promo circuit so on top of the pops cd uk jonathan ross like seeing that was like my first introduction to janet if you will but um revisiting the album i'm just like it's just such a shame it's just such a shame because it's a damn good album and outside of it just being so good but it's so experimental she was really and it was the first time she was working with other producers beyond jimmy jam and terry lewis but it was still so cohesive but there's different really sounds like there's kind of like some like there's like some reggae on here there's some house on here some funkers on here some psychedelic rocks on here then just like nice new soul kind of jams it's very diverse musically but then also still i feel very cohesive there's even kind of like the last one's a pop rock song just a little while and i just feel it's a shame because even beyond that 
as t- in terms of an industry person, I'm like, oh my god, that could have been a hit. That could have been a hit if it wasn't for the, the the powers that be who were blacklisting her from radio and television and really halting her promotion and just really making it impossible to sell this album. It's just it's so sad because, but I am glad that there has been like a retrospective look at how, because I one thing that the video noticed noted, which I thought was quite interesting, was that. <clears throat> A lot of people who reviewed the album back in 2004 were giving it shit reviews because of what happened. Not because of the music, but because they were still mad at her because her, her breast came out. That would be the focus of the reviews. They weren't even actually talking about the album. That's how deep that controversy was and how much it really... And, you know, for a good 10 years, it really killed her career and really almost damaged her legacy. It's only in the last, like, five years when people are starting to realise, actually, no... Janet Jackson is one of the most important female artists of all time. She's done this. She's done this. She's paved the way for so many people. It's only in the last five years. And he made a good point out how her contemporaries, like, you know, Madonna and Whitney, they were able to really progress into their 40s and 50s much smoother. Unlike her. She didn't really have a smooth terrain into her legacy years. Because, like, she had this, these great 20 years of bam, 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 success. Iconic, da, 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 da. And then that Super Bowl thing just really shut shit down. And they were treating her like she was Debbie Gibson. Treating her like she was um, Tiffany. I'm sorry to do it again. I'm not I actually okay guys. I just want to say Stray's... I was actually... You know, I was going to message you and say my new nickname for you is Stray. Like, because you just... You fire from the hip just randomly. <laughs> just treating her like she's Atomic Kitten or something. And it's just like... The disrespect no, was real. Atomic... They weren't treating like her Atomic, atomic Kitten shopping. Okay, fair enough. But, no, but they were really... But people were really trying... At one point, really acting like... And even... I think even amongst the own generation... I feel like... It's a bit changed now. But I do remember a time... Even amongst the generation... People were like... They weren't really grasping... Who Jake Jackson is... Was... And what she has done. Do you know why? And that's actually partially why I wrote that those those two part articles of mine. That's partially mm. why I wrote them because I needed you to remind you, Nick Knox, like respect her. But do you think that's also because I'm just thinking about who came out like a few years after Janet kind of went through that? Super oh Bowl no, of course, of, like, no, Sierra of course, and no, stuff like that. No, of course, yeah, of course. And the video pointed that up. He made a good point. He's like, yes, of course. She was obviously getting old anyway. So ageism was already going to be affecting her anyway. No, but that's not what I mean. I mean more so, you know, the image of Janet Jackson was pretty much usurped by so many people. No, of during course. During the, the highest points of her career. Well, the lowest points of her career. Well, the lowest so, points. But yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's the point I'm making. So, of course, while at the same time that's, this, there's all this controversy she's being blacklisted, yes, you have her children are starting to grow. Mm. You know, we have Britney, we have Britney, we have Maya, we have Beyonce, we have... Sierra, we have her children starting to prosper, which is natural because obviously she's a lot older than these women. So that's why I'm saying that ageism was also playing a factor because she was kind of aging out of the mainstream demographic anyway. But I do feel that whereas Mariah was able to have the Emancipation of Mimi in her mid thirties and Madonna had Confessions of a Dance with Harley, like they had they had big moments even in our generation. They're not mm. from our generation, but they they have sizable moments that even us can be like, okay. Because Jerry didn't get to have that. She didn't. She didn't get yeah. to have those moments in her late thirties and early forties. Yeah, and it's so also, sad. But I also kind of look at it like you know, you know how some artists will kind of point to who their inspirations are. I don't think Janet Jackson really got that because, like, if we look at now, for example, you've got everyone says it. Beyonce 
No, not even just no. Let's just say with Beyonce, for example, Beyonce is killing it, and she's kind of you know seen as the the biggest entertainer in the world at the moment. But anyone who kind of comes out now, any any like female artist like Chloe Bailey or um, let me think who else, um, Normani, any of those artists will say I'm trying to be like her. They can point straight to Beyonce and say she was my inspiration. She did all of this. Whereas I don't know if when like Sierra came out or um, kind of any of the 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 two thousands. Oh, women. Sierra was always always was she. Always was saying Janet, she loved Janet. Oh, okay, that's always. fair enough. I didn't know that for sure. So Britney's always too. She really always said Britney was always saying yeah, yeah. Oh, Britney was Britney. always. And then yeah, even on the newer artists, Normani has always said yes, Beyonce. But Normani has definitely said Janet too. Doja Cat has said Janet too. Tinashe said that too. So like, it's definitely happening more so now. But even people like FKA Twigs um, are saying like yeah. As I say, it's happened more recently. But I definitely feel like there was a, a standard mm. point where even me, as someone who's a lot younger than Janet's core fans, I'm like, people were just were not really giving, talking about her like that. But I feel like in the last five years, and the power of social media as well, has also changed the narrative around not only Super, Super Bowl moment, but also just who she is. Because I think without social media, mm. she probably would still be like, oh, this has been from the 80s, even though really, no, check the receipts, check, check the numbers. But also... Check out the, the groundwork she's laid, mm. <laughs> like in terms of visually, conceptually, mm. image-wise, performing-wise, she's done. Like, and we, we have this alternative R&B movement right now. Janet is one of the foremothers of that sound. But anyway, um, we're not talking about that right now. No, well, so, I, I, have a, I have a question because I'm just thinking out loud now from everything that you said. Do you think, this might sound like a very morbid thing to say, but do you think that Janet Jackson's resurgence in kind of the public interest has anything to do with Michael dying? No, because Michael, when Michael was dead, when Michael died, Janet was still down in the dumps commercially. Okay. She was still, he, 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 he died in 2009. She had yeah. an album out of the, she released, she was still releasing music, touring after that. And no one, yeah, she was still struggling. Oh, okay. It's literally, I would honestly say the last five years or so, where mm. I've started to see things change and a kind of like a rebuilding and a healing of her brand. Yeah. It's only like yeah. in the last five years that I can say, I can say that. But for yeah. a long time, a long time. So even like now I'm saying, so even me coming up as a young Janet fan with Demia Joe when the time came out, I was getting into her not realising that this was the beginning of almost the end for her. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and my parents were actually telling me that there was a point where Janet was bigger than Michael, which I just find incredible. Exactly. And like, and this is another thing. She still holds the record for the the highest paid recording contract of all time. I think she was signed to a version for $80 million in 1996 or something like that. That's, oh, wow. still t- that's still to this day one of the most highest paid artist contracts ever in the history of music, man or woman. Boy. This is the only woman who has seven top five singles from one album. Where do you keep this information? You just reel it out and it just comes from... Respecting legends. That's where it comes from. <laughs> Dedication. No, because... And I just kind of feel like it's kind of partially like my duty because... Uh, people people just be talking shit <laughs> be talking shit nice. and just be and just and just be saying things <laughs> and like i said it's partially why i wrote that article and i actually was so glad when i put it out a lot of people were tweeting me like oh wow i didn't know janet had done all these things i didn't know this what she had done the impact she'd made I'm like yes 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 thank you 
Yeah, I hear you. Get to know. Respect her. Anyway, so Demetra, great album. Please check it out, guys. Really great album. I want to say some standouts for me. Um, Spending Time With You, Island Life. I think you'll like this song, Lita Mackenzie Goddard. Um, um, for all the hoes out there, for the rich sex niggas out there, warmth, moist, definitely one for you guys. Electro Sex playlists. Um, the title track is amazing. Then I also love Truly. Such a beautiful, beautiful mid-tempo acoustic song. Um, yeah, this is just a great album. It's a great album. It's such a shame that it wasn't. It didn't get to have the chance it deserved. It didn't yeah. get to have its proper chance. But even that, there's even been critically some articles in the last few years who've actually written about how actually wait this was a good album, but we didn't realize it because we were too busy talking about her and Justin Timberlake. Yeah. <coughs> right. Anywho, lastly for these listens, we're going to. Sly and the Family Stone. So, my journey with Sly and the Family Stone, I've always known who they are, and if you guys didn't know, they are a funk soul rock man from San Francisco who were very active in the mid-60s to the early 80s. Um, one of the most influential bands of the last, like, 60 years, especially in the realms of, like, funk, soul, and also pivotal to the early iterations of hip-hop. Uh, very pivotal to that. So 50 years ago, um, I believe two weeks ago, November 1st. So November 1st, their album, There's a Riot Going On, turned 50. And um, it was, it came in a year where black music was at its creative height. Like this was the year What's Going On came out. This was the year Music of My Mind by Stevie Wonder came out. This was the year of Aretha Franklin's Young Gifted Black. So a lot of incredible black music was um Curtis Mayfield Isaac Hayes so it was, it was a great time for soul and funk music but also music that was inspired by social issues and and politics and civil rights and black power so that album was definitely in that mix so that turned 50 last month and I say I had to say that I was known who they were and I knew some of their songs it was only really until watching Summer of Soul, Questlove's documentary, that I really took the time early this year and still now to really like get into them because you know there's so much music out there. So even and I think one of my things is when it comes to new music, I'm very much into music discovery. So it's like yes, I'm listening to what is happening out now today, but one of my pastimes, as Eden knows, is I'm trying to see what was happening in the forties and the nineties, the eighties, whatever. So some of the time, sort of death film. Um, a nice discovery for me this year and it's such a great great album it's such a, a such a good album and to me i listen to that i'm like this is funk music this is funk music and then i just really think about the sound because it was very like like edgy and kind of dense very like psychedelic but kind of avant-garde but then also what they're talking about lyrically about like their disillusionment with the political climate in the early 70s and really taking things from the nice cow culture movement. But then also at the same time, it was a number one album and they had all these hit singles, but it's just such a great album. And I just listen to it now and just think about, wow, this really inspired, like you can hear, like Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love owes a debt to this album. Janelle Monet owes a debt to this album. D'Angelo's Black Messiah owes a debt to this album. Pippa Butterfly, but then also even in the Bilal, so many other artists, and also a load of early hip hop artists were sampling like De La Soul and the Beastie Boys. 
And then even like in the jazz world, like Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock, this album was amongst the ones that was really inspiring them to get to really incorporate more electronic sounds into their work, kind of pioneering the jazz fusion movement. But um, it's a great body of work, a very important body of work. So I want to name some of my favorite songs in the album. Hands down, my hands flipping down. My favorite song is the last track. Thank you for talking to me, Africa. Please, I beg all of you, please, I beg. Please, please go play that song with the biggest speakers you have or some good headphones. That is real funk music. That bass line, instrumentation, just that energy is just like, when I heard that, I li it literally, I was like, what is this? Mm. I'm like, I could not, I would have loved to have been in the studio when that was being done. I, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal song. But then also, I want to shout out um, Love and Hate, um, uh, Space Cowboy, Family Fair, which is one of their biggest songs. Such a real uh, weird, psychedelic, psychedelic, kind of weird kind of production, especially for the 70s. But um, yeah, so those are my listens. We have No Name, Janet Jackson, Sly the Family Stone. Right, so we're going to try something new now. <laughs> we are going to try something new. Which so, of the new things are we going to do, though? Uh, the, the, the article. Okay, cool. Okay. So Eden and I are kind of in the midst of working out ways to, I guess, expand the show and just progress the show as we grow and, you know, make sure that we're just keeping it fresh for ourselves as well as you guys listening. Mm -hmm. um, so we thought maybe from time to time, like, this is not like going to be something we do every week but we just thought maybe once in a while we should you know discuss an article or a book mm. that has resonated with us and just discuss it so you guys may know if you follow me on twitter that Questlove is one of my favorite people on the planet he is just he's like a north star to me mm. um i've been a fan of him for years anyway just as being obviously a member of the roots one of my favorite hip-hop bands love them to death but also this man has been so pivotal to work on D'Angelo's Voodoo, Erica Blue's Mamba's Gun, Commons Electric Circus, most of like he's worked with so many of my favorite artists on so many of their best albums. And still now, he's working with such great like who were on Yeba's last album. Like Questlove is just as a musician, incredible. Mm. But then outside of that, I've really loved watching him really grow into these other areas. So like, you know, he's writing books now. He's um he's lecturing now. He's working on TV now. And he's also going to documentaries now. And and to me, I I would love to have the career he has. Like he, he's like he basically is getting a career up just being a music nerd. And I'm so jealous mm -hmm. of him. Cause his music knowledge is it's enviable. Like mm -hmm. it's incredible. It's insane. Every time I hear him speak, watch him watch him speak read something he's written, I was like, I just, I can't fathom. I want to be that level of, of aficionado one day. One day. In my own way. Obviously, we all have our nothings, but one day. So, he, um, so you guys may have heard of the Summer of Soul documentary, which came out earlier this year, and it's basically a documentary, slash concert film, about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which until this year was uncovered and unknown. It was filmed... 50 years ago but was never put out anywhere and it's just it was an incredible incredible concert which had a banging lineup of stevie wonder the staple singers sly and the family stone mahalia jackson abby lincoln and max roach the fifth dimension huma sakela um 
just I uh, I couldn't like a banging banging lineup. I'm like I could not believe that this actually happened first of all, but then also the fact that it was just locked away in storage, like no one it just wasn't being put out for, for fifty years. But until he uncovered it and made a documentary about it, and it was it's an incredible movie, guys. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you do. I believe it's on Hulu, but I'm sure it's also on Put Luck on the other legal websites. But if you want to, you know, do it properly, I think it's on Hulu. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I can't put into words how much watching that film has changed me, how much it's impacted me for several reasons as a music, as a music lover, as a creative, as a music nerd, as a proponent of respecting legends. Like, I, I watched it in the cinema, I was extra, I was like, I'm not going to go watch this on my laptop. I'm going to go watch, go to a cinema and watch this. And I'm in love with it. I've only watched it one time, but I still, the impact is still in my heart, still, all these months later. And once again, the amount of music that I've come, the artists that I've discovered and really fell in love with as a result, like it's like the Family Stone. I knew who they were, obviously, I knew the name, but watching that footage of them, and like, okay, I really need to... Yeah, and his actually work, his next documentary actually is about them, which I'm excited, I'm very excited to see. But anyway, no more rambling. Anyway, so Oscar season is obviously among us, and he is tipped to be nominated for like best documentary or whatever, or something, I don't know, his watch are stupid, but you know, if he does be nominated, good for him, it's deserving, if he does get nominated. So he's doing a lot of press right now, and he did an interview with GQ, and I read it a few days ago, and it was just such a great, 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 great read. And this particular line resonated with me. He said, well, the opening st statement is, the musical polymath and Roots drum explains how he made the story of the black Woodstock resonate with Gen Z and why he's finally embracing his role as pop music's cultural historian. And I'm like, that's it. Cause he really is becoming that figure for our generation now. And then, it also made me realise, like, reckon with the social political elements of the movie because I was watching it as just like, wow, this lineup was amazing. All these musicians, like, it's honestly, like, the talent, I just like, wow, I would have loved to have been there. I really would have loved to have been there. But then also, the movie, the, uh, the festival itself was actually created um, to, as, kind of like, as, a, as a pacifier for the previous year of losing Martin Luther King and many other civil rights activists. So this was done to encourage the community not to riot, not to protest. This was just like, you know, that's why all these, Nina Simone, all these artists came out in support of like, let's just have a good time. Let's be happy. Let's have some escapism. That's what this festival was created for. And reading that made me reckon, remember that because like I said, I went in, went in just really like, oh yeah, these great artists. Because, but then, um, yeah, I don't really know what to say really, but I just think it was um, a really, really, really good article. And I did actually highlight some quotes that um, resonated with me. So I'm just gonna find them. One second. Hold on, so yeah. So he was saying that, he was. the article says, Questlove was thinking about that moment near the height of the 60s with the tumult of protests and rights assassinations was an exact mirror of the summer of George Floyd in a post-Black Lives Matter world. And that was why he felt that was what inspired him to the documentary because I think initially he was just like, he himself was also just enamored with the breadth of this talent, the breadth of the musicians, these legendary musicians, some of them who were, who weren't even household names yet. This is a, a young Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder wasn't Stevie Wonder when this, when this concert happened. Um, but then he was like, he did, he was really recognizing the parallels with what we're seeing today and back then and how it was kind of a similar thing now. And 
yeah. I have, don't have much like I say. Like I say, we're just trying this out. It's a trialing thing. Hopefully one day I'll be better at this. But please check it out. It's on GQ. And the article is called How Questlove Remixed the Soundtrack of 1968 for the Summer of George Floyd, written by Ben Williams. So don't know what this will be in future, but let us know your thoughts. If you'd like us to continue, I should probably have been a bit more prepared, but it's just a can great you, read, guys. Can you stop? <laughs> all right so essentially we want to have this section to basically bring new ways of talking about culture um outside of daily kind of occurrences that happen in kind of music news we will still be talking about news and kind of figuring out ways to navigate that but we just wanted to have a section that focused on our individual particular interests and what we're reading at the moment that is kind of interesting us at the moment that is really coloring our view of culture at the moment um, which leads me to this question for Chopé. Um, and I actually found another quote I want to talk about, but I'll answer your question first. Okay, the question is essentially, what led you to read this article? What kind of brought you to that place? Like, what made you click on it and want to read it? Initially, just because, like, hey, I love the documentary. I love Questlove. It's a GQ interview. And I actually feel GQ are one of... Considering they're not a music publication, I feel like they do really great music content. They do really great music interviews and great music stories so and Questlove is a great talker anyway so I knew it was going to be some bullshit it was going to be none fluff but then when I saw the headline because like I said I never had really till now really reckoned with the political aspects of that because there's even a part in the movie where how the festival was actually happening the same weekend as the, the landing on the moon and all these black people talking about I don't care about that I can't even pay my bills right now I can't even I can't even pay for my lunch, my daughter's children my lunch fare and all that and just seeing the contrast of where black people were at the time while everyone was like oh my god we're going on the moon guys it's just like mm. the contrast in the black community was just so stark mm. and then they actually had I believe Joe Scott's heron white on the moon playing over that scene and oh, wow. that was a very poignant scene to me when I was watching that in the cinema and I remembered that but then also. Like I said, so even now, this is a quote that I really, really resonated with me. So like I said, guys, we're still learning how to do this, but this was a quote that stuck out to me. He said, um, this concert was put on as a band-aid, for, as a band-aid over a bullet wound, a means to keep people calm and give them joy. And this is the bit that really stuck with me. We never really credit what a day of joy can bring to somebody. And it's so simple, mm. so simple, but so profound. Because I can't imagine what that would have been like. This is 1969 Harlem. A year after Martin Luther King has been assassinated. A year after so many, so much uproar and, not, and madness is happening in the black community in the States. Really think about what that would have been like. 1969 and you have all these amazing artists. And you have all these black people coming into Harlem, commuting for a day. For great music, great food. Because... There actually were like some comedians there and poets there, but obviously they prioritized the music aspect of that because I think there's like 60 hours of footage that Chris have had to wheel through and make the best of. But that quote really stuck out to me. Mm. That really stuck out to me. And then he was even saying that how he was, when he was editing it, he was like, mm, should he mix in current modern day footage of Black Lives Matter and our own issues that were going on? He's like, nope, that's pandering. He wanted, he even then wanted for us watching it, our generation to still have some form of escapism, even though, because there's undeniably political undertones, undeniably, because even Nina Simone's performance is very, because she was very much in her, I guess, extreme black nationalist phase mm. <laughs> in, this, in this document. She was talking about burning it all down, it ready to fight. Nina was really about that smoke. That was, that documentary captures that Nina. Mm. Um, and he's like, nah, I'm not going to throw in 
modern day footage or Kendrick Lamar in there because I've been pandering. He's like, people are going to get it. They're going to make the parallels themselves. We'll give all this more credit. So, yeah. Yeah. You've also, <laughs> you, I, was, I feel like I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, you're not. You're, you're saying really insightful things. Um, you need to believe in your, in your, in your EA a bit more. Um, kind of hearing what you're saying, though, because I'm reading this article from someone who hasn't seen the film or kind of engaged with the documentary. Um, but what I'm hearing you say is kind of, it was, a, it was about kind of the ease that came after the suffering. And mm-hmm. um, what comes to mind is there's a line in the Quran that says, with suffering comes ease. Um, and with the reverse, um, shout out to who told me about that. But um, it does sound like that is pretty much what the article talks about. And I think, you know, one of the things that probably drew you to that article was the way it explored culture in such a um, magnified type of way. Um, and I think that article in particular really showed the type of reading that you do to really understand music and culture a lot more. And it goes into your writing. Um, but yeah, this is kind of a new well, That's very of kind said. of you, sir. Oh, it's facts. It's facts. <laughs> it's not even me being kind. It's facts. Um, but yeah, this is a new section, guys. So there are going to be like kind of, you know, back and forth and whilst we're trying to figure out and everything. But... And teething issues. And teething issues, but they're probably not as big as we're making it out to be. Um, but if you do want to hear us talk about more of the things that we're reading, um, you know, music and culture articles or even just things that we're reading at the moment that we kind of just want to talk about. Let us know if you enjoyed the section um, and we're happy to talk about it a bit more. Um, just let us know at D-A-T-S-P-O-D. We actually might do another poll because the last one actually did quite well. So we might do another poll. Oh, oh. Oh, yes. Okay, wait, one sec, one sec. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I need to just check something real quick. Give me two seconds, guys. All right, essentially, last time I checked, last time I checked, certain people come with loudness to do with certain albums. So apparently there was this album by Miguel, I can't remember what it's called, like Warren, you know, Relaxation or something along those lines. Respect it, please. Warren (laughs) Lennon. Someone came to the podcast to come and do loudness. And, you know, sometimes in life we get humbled, right? And we just need to, we need to acknowledge when we've been humbled. So Division's album, let's talk about September 5th. You know, certain people, certain people were saying that, you know, ah, the line is good, but the rest of the songs are forgettable. But it turns out a lot of you remember the songs on that album because you voted for it and it beat Miguel's album. But not that much by, I must say. Okay, but, but did it but did it win? Okay. Like I said, you have one, I have one. So that Miguel album, Violence and Relaxation, um, <laughs> is something that didn't beat oh. Division's album. And that is a three-year argument that has finally been won. So thank you guys for voting for that album. We should do it again at some point. I can't think of any albums that we've clashed with before. Okay. Um, but just know I won the first round, Brent Fires versus Khalid, and we banished that nigger outside of this podcast universe. So. <laughs> we haven't spoken about Khalid since. So. <laughs> and we never so. will. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Um, all right, we'll move on to the new section. So we'll go straight into that. It's a short one, but we'll just jump straight in. So, in starting with the new section is another one of my favorite artists of all time, Miss Mariah Carey. So, in a recent interview with Rolling Stone, when asked if she'll be touring in 2022, 
she said, and I quote, I'm so not going on tour ever again in my life. (laughs) 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 And then she was probed on whether she's actually being serious. But she was like, I miss my fans. I miss being with them. But with COVID, it's just weird right now being around a whole bunch of people. And then when she asked, was pressed again. So the journalist was really trying. I'm sure he was a lamb, he or she. They were trying to push. They were like, but what do you, what, when you, are you excited to see how shows will evolve post-COVID? And she's like, I don't care because I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> she's so... Oh, and I love her. But then, so this has obviously garnered some news and attention this week. And for, for me, obviously as a lamb... This kind of upset me because I've never seen her before. And I'm like, okay. And I actually had been saying to one of my friends, actually, that when she comes back, hell or high water, no matter the cost, I will be there. It's time mm. for me to see my girl. And also her voice is in much better condition than it's been in a long time. So I'm like, okay. And also I feel like she's, she's more relaxed, more comfortable. So like she's a good place in her life. Also vocally to also tour. But she's like, yeah, it's mm. not happening. But then I kind of don't blame her. I kind of don't blame her. One, because we're not in a post-COVID world. I know people keep saying that because we're not in a post-COVID world. COVID is still here in our life. Amarian mm. is running rampant at his very second. Onika. Um, yeah, exactly. Running rampant at his very second. And that... And, uh, <laughs> Just say, do you know what came to mind? So <laughs> when you said running around, you know the, um, the Simpson meme where it's got um, the, the Nicki Minaj thing over it? Oh... <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> Hilarious. So I kind of don't blame her because even though people have been touring and do festivals again, it's still very higgy haggard and uncertain. Like, so people have gone to shows this year. I have too, but now a lot of shows have been cancelled in these last few weeks, and a lot of tours which were happened for January, February are now being cancelled because we're going to be in lockdown again, apparently. And obviously, I know it's at her level, you know, she, if she's going to tour, you'd want, she, I imagine she'd, she'd want to make sure that the world is ex- properly on point. Not this, oh, it may happen, or we'll do this day, or oh, next leg is cancelled. But then also, at her level, she's been in the game 30 plus years now. Money is not an issue for her anymore. She doesn't have to do the hustle and grind of, because she, she's made her bag. <laughs> She's made her bag. She's good. And also, she's getting older. Let's not, like, no, she's getting older. Yeah, she, she is. She has children. So, like, why is she running around <laughs> to all parts mm. of the world when she's fine? And so she was saying that she would rather do different things. Like, you know, she was talking about having, like, this cool butterfly lounge where, with a streaming service, where she just, you just see her creating music, singer, being a songwriter and producer. And I think, uh, for me as a fan, that would definitely would be fun to see. But I do think that she probably at best, and she actually said, actually, she said, that was really cool because I was at home. I just have to run around and do all this nonsense, you know, and quote, I love her. Mm. <laughs> but then, then all, and I can imagine, I imagine she probably would do stateside shows. I think she probably would do shows in America, but I do think for someone at her level, does she need to be running around every continent on the world like she used to? At her age, I think the I think the contrast is interesting though because we were literally just talking about you know Janet and Beyonce and 
all of these artists and kind of their careers and the demand versus people who are influenced by them and everything. Um, so it's interesting that the demand for Mariah Carey is still very much there. Not to say like for Janet Jackson it isn't, but you know, the fact that we're discussing someone who is so late into her career not touring is newsworthy. You know, that is just kind of speaks to kind of how big of a star Mariah Carey is. Um, so that's just amazing to see, to be honest. But I, I must say, like, you know, when she was coming back after quite a long hiatus and she was like singing on stage and some of the notes were, some of them, <laughs> some of the notes weren't there. Make my wish come true for Christmas. Um, and this was during the time where people were making comparisons between Ariana Grande and Mariah Carey as well, which I can hear. Um, and I think most people can hear as well. Of course, Ariana's but, a child of Mariah, of course. Exactly. Which is interesting, again, because that it's not like Mariah Carey's star had to dim for Ariana Grande's come up. Um, whereas, you know, with Janet, I, I personally think from what I've seen, it, it, it kind of operated in that way, where other people kind of usurped and seemed to you know, become popular and Janet Jackson's career declined as a result of that or uh, amongst other things as well. Um, but it's just interesting to see that Mariah Carey is still kind of, people are still chasing, still in love with the music, still want to hear certain songs and she is still dominating Christmas. Still, 2021 and All I Want For Christmas still slaps. I don't understand what is in the it's song. Currently, but it's currently, it's back in the, it's back in the top five of the Hot 100. Again. It's just like, how, how can you... Do you know how much influence that is? You know, <laughs> no, just just deep it. Do you know how much influence that is? Every a, a year, constant bag. Every year, a constant every bag. single year. That's like um, I don't know. That's I can't even think of a. I can't think of a song that would that can do that. Like obviously, Wham, George yeah, Michael. Yeah. That's that's the other one, but. It's just wild when you think. But for about me, it. it's the way Mariah has taken over. Like she'll do these these trolling videos saying Christmas time is here. Knowing she means it's time for me to get my bag again. Yeah. <laughs> like, she time to she, make a quick ten mil. Like she's in on the joke now, and she takes yeah. the piss doing all these yeah. videos. Apple Christmas special. She's like, I'm okay. You guys are gonna stream me every year. Okay, let's let's milk it. Yeah. <laughs> but the point I wanted uh, to make with the COVID thing was is that. My point is obviously she's an older artist, she's a legacy artist, but it's obviously younger artists who are still coming up need to talk. (laughs) It's a viable source of their income. So I think it's interesting. And I wonder, like, so you mentioned Janet. Janet too. High key, she's well. She said, I don't want to tour again. She doesn't need to. (laughs) She's she's good. Even Beyonce too. She's another one. She too doesn't need (laughs) to tour rigorously ever again. And if the way the world's work moving... It may seem like she may not be able to anyway, because there Don't are say ru- that. no, of course, Don't say that. but there are there were rumors that Beyonce was to go on tour next year, but now Amara's in the air. Well, so I'm sure she'll go back home and just play with her, her kids. She's like, okay, the world's still playing. Okay, cool. That's my. Um, but yeah, so. you're right. You're right. Um, I hope it's not true though, because I have Coldplay tickets for August next year, and I need that to happen. I need that to happen. Don't look. I need it to happen. I will be there in my face mask, in my hazmat suit. But I need. Well, hope, I need well, to be there. Hopefully, but I just do wonder. I I wonder. If, so artists who are who are extremely established at a certain level, are we going to start seeing those level of artists be like actually touring? No. Do you know what? I think it's going to change. I think you know this is kind of going into a, a topic that we haven't really explored in detail yet. But the metaverse and kind of virtual reality. 
and um, how people will interact with the world is really interesting at the moment with like Decentraland and um, all of these different virtual spaces. Um, like Barbados, for example, said they want to be one of the first virtual locations that you can travel to um, in the metaverse. So I'm really intrigued to see, you know, I know there's anxieties about COVID and touring and festivals and all of the above, but I'm really intrigued to see if the older generation get involved with technology in a way that Doja Cat has, that Travis Scott has, that um, Kalela has, that all of these different artists kind of have tried new avenues for um, touring and NFTs and um, all of the above because they can tour. It won't be the same for people like us, like the millennial and Gen Z generation who kind of went to those festivals. Um, but I'm really intrigued to see if they interact with that. Because, you know, there was a point where loads of artists, like rappers and singers, said they didn't want to get involved with social media. And now if you look at the scale of people that are on social media and kind of use it as their main vehicle for interacting with their fans, it's incredible. Like, if you think about it, like... Um, Instagram lives and people responding to tweets. Artists didn't really do that back when Twitter first came out. Like they usually interacted with each other and, um, you know, we could see their interaction. But we're seeing a lot more kind of interaction with um, like their audience base, their stand base and all of the above. So I, I personally do think that Mariah will tour again, but I'm really intrigued to see how artists of her generation like the Janet Jacksons, for example, and then the generation after that, like the Beyonce's, really interact with um, touring and technology in the future as we kind of figure out what's going on with coronavirus and everything. So we'll see what happens, I guess. We'll just have to see what happens. We will. But that being said, if me seeing where I means I have to take a flight to the States, I will do it because by God's grace, I'll be earning enough money to to just be doing that. I'm honestly surprised you've never been to a Mariah Carey concert. I'm surprised. Because I really had to deep it because you had to remind me how you were a proper concert goer. Like, I think like, I don't know if this is like before COVID, I think it was nearly every weekend you would tell me I'm going to a concert or like something similar to that. So I was that guy. It's I was crazy. That guy. I it's was that crazy. I was always at someone's show. I was always at the festival circuit. Love box, field day, Afropunk. I, hey, I was there. That's I was crazy. There. Man. Essence Festival. I was there. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. But no, Mariah, no. So her last tour, the Caution tour, um, I, um, um, I was still working at the plantation top shop back then. So finances were just not what they are now. And then also they just sold out ridiculously. She, she did like six shows of the Royal Apple Hall. Which I was so glad, okay, it's a nice, smaller... I mean, it's a big venue, but it's smaller than what she's used to. So I'm mm -hmm. like, cool, it'll be more intimate, cool. It sold out, like, in seconds. But also... Oh, wow. The top shop check was just not... It wasn't checking. It wasn't checking. And then the other shows... Um, I don't know. Like, I, wonder, I don't think... I, so, being honest, I think when we go to her Christmas tours... Because, I mean, I like her Christmas albums, but it's like... If I want to see you for the first time, I want to see, you know yeah the like the proper like hits and you, you don't want to hear all i want for christmas like 10 times oh no look let's not do that because <laughs> i love her christmas albums i really do i do shout out to missy most of christmas time jesus what a wonderful child um christmas time I, is I in the you. air again when christmas comes you, she, she will play that song more than once though. no she'll do it once 
No, no, she'll play it more than once. <laughs> she'll play, you will go to that concert and see just pure white people. Like, you will. Yeah, and that's not that's not to not white people, no, but, but f- they, they love that no, song. No, of course. But my, my point is, I didn't want my first Mariah Carey concert experience to be that. I would love to go to one of her Christmas shows. One day I will. But I was like, when I see you for the first time, I want to be able to, like, you know, I want to hear fantasy mm-hmm. and honey and emotions and butterfly. I want to hear them jams. Mm. And the deep cuts because that's what pissed me off with the last tour. She was really giving the lamb some treats. She was doing songs <laughs> that she had never done before, ever. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm watching it on YouTube. And I'm like, <laughs> his hands are on his head. No, like I was on, I'm on YouTube and I'm like, Mariah performs so and so for the first time in 25 years. I was like, <laughs> Or you're falling out of your seat. Mariah performs "Slipping Away" for the first time ever, and I'm like, <gasps> and for the deep hardcore lambs, no, "Slipping Away" is in in our in the Mariah Carey law that is a special song for us, the lambs, and she did for the first time ever on that tour, and I'm there, I'm, I'm folding clothes. <laughs> you're free from the plantation now. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. <sighs> yeah. All right. Should we move on to the next topic? Yes. Yeah, so, what's the next topic? Um. So, was it? Aaliyah. Oh. Mm. <laughs> 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 All right. So, let's hear your thoughts afterwards because you're going to go into a deep dive and talk about other unreleased stuff as well. Let me just say my thoughts real quick. So, well, let, me, what, well, let me explain what it is first. Let's, okay. explain, what, let's explain what's happened. So, okay, cool. Aaliyah has a new single out with The Weeknd. Coid Poison, and it is the first single from her posthumous album called Unstoppable, which is coming out next year, and is set to feature collaborations with Future, Drake, <laughs> Snoop Dogg, Neo, Chris Brown, and Migos. <laughs> the way your eyes widened <laughs> when you said Future. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know. Okay, that's an interesting lineup. <laughs> Migos. <laughs> and I'm just, Migos and Aaliyah. Wow. And I'm just like, we need to let her rest. Yeah, we, need we to, do. We need to let her rest. So I'm gonna, I am gonna. have some things to say, naturally, of course. Yes. I'm a massive Aaliyah fan, and her uncle's a piece of shit, Barry Hankerson, garbage human being, um, who is the, the cause of all this nonsense we're about to witness, the suffering that's about to be among us. In these, in these coming months but i'm gonna let Eden mckenzie goddard sound off on the single all right first and foremost this poison song is awful it is poison. um it, I, I thought someone was gonna say that i didn't want to be the one but it really do you know what it is it doesn't it's very obvious that the singer isn't alive that's the issue like i feel like if she was alive there would have been certain tonal changes in the music I feel like there are certain points in the song where Aaliyah's tone clashes with the weekends and it just it just sounds off. It's like um, it's like the, the weekend is really trying to sing into her um, rather than collaborate with her music. It's like there's no double sided collab- um, collaboration on this song. It's just like a dead voice. And I mean that in the most respectful way. It's just a voice that has no kind of input in the the music at the moment and listening to it it was just very kind of confusing um that's the best it was very it was very bland and unnecessary and um 
Yeah, it just it, it wasn't hitting. That's that's the best way I can describe it. It was all right. It was all right. It didn't need to be released. Um, that's really it, man. That's really it. That's all I have to say. So, my thoughts. Um, I actually disagree. Well, no, 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 on, on the actual song itself. I don't think it's actually a bad song in itself, but I just think that the way it's mixed, and I feel like whatever the original vocal was, it obviously wasn't of a good quality anyway. And even with all your best engineers, they still didn't do a good job. It just mm. sounds like, yeah, it just sounds so blatantly we're going to just put this rough vocal from Lord knows when on a contemporary mm. beat, throw the weekend on there. It just sounds, and, and obviously we all knew that it was going to be, obviously be, you know, pieced together, but it's so, it's so obvious that mm. it sounds like one of them YouTube collaborations. You know, those guys that just put like, Oh, Frank Ocean, Miguel, the weekend on, on one song. That, that's what it sounds like. Those YouTube yeah, collaborations. Yeah. That's, I just, yeah, I just, just like, but I thought the song itself isn't that bad. But I listened to it again. Hell no. But, and then it's even the weekend, like he was singing Baby Girl at the end. I was like, this is just too on the nose. It's just too mm. on the nose. It's just too on the damn nose. And like, why is Aaliyah, just like, leave her alone. All we wanted was her musical streaming services. We have that now. I don't, that's it. We're done. We're done. But what I will say is on the new music thing, you guys lagged, you guys flopped. Where were you guys when Enough Said dropped 10 years ago? I'm sorry, 40 did the damn thing on that song. The one about Drake. We... I didn't know you liked that song. I man. liked that song. I did. Because I, I was thinking about that song. And I, I know it was controversial, like but obviously the, the original plans were a, a good 10 years ago, I believe 2012, I think, there was going to be an Aaliyah album produced by 40. And you know what? I wasn't mad at it. I mean, yes, morally, everything, yeah, it's a bit techie, controversial, but Enough Said was a good song. It was a good song. It did have Drake on it, though. But I just want about Drake, of course. There's a version oh. without Drake, thanks to YouTube. Shout out to the person who made that version. <laughs> I was not listening to Drake's version. But Are we going to talk about the other song? The other Aaliyah song that came out? Well, Chris Brown one. I like that song, too. I liked it. I yeah. liked it as well. Right. And so I'm not going to lie and say that if we want... Because like I said, Black Crown Records, Barry Hankerson, terrible man, a garbage person who happens to be an uncle. He's not going to let us rest. He's going to make sure that he finesses as much as he can out of her estate and out of her legacy it's coming whether we like it or not clearly but i would have been happy with a 40 album 40 producer lee album because i feel like the kind of producer mm. he is sonically it fits her voice and where she was going anyway mm. in her career and enough said it was a good song as long yeah, as drake was. wasn't on on it that was fine but now we're out here gonna we're gonna have to we're gonna have to reckon with songs with future and create and I know it's, I can't. I just. <laughs> I can't imagine that. I don't even know what that would sound like. And Migos, why is Aaliyah and and, and Offset on a song together? Do you know what though? With Future, he can dial it down a bit when it comes to R and B. I'm thinking Body Party, for example. And also Tinashe's How Many Times, which is also. Yeah, like maybe I'm thinking of the wrong Future. Maybe that's the issue because like he's very good at um, the things he does in the background on R&B songs. Like I'm thinking of the 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 noise he makes in the back of Body Party. Um I don't know, but the rest of the features just seem a bit odd. Migos. I can't that just seems odd. I can't I can't envision that. I can't even sonically imagine that. But here we are, Unstoppable coming out at the beginning of next year. Even the album title, we just, just 
unstoppable. It's like it's bit, it's very plain. It's very very plain. And then Barry Anderson did a, an interview with Billboard, and he was saying that Aaliyah would love. Let's find the quote so I can quote this disgraceful man properly. Where is it? Um, everything I do with Black Crown is always hurt in my heart, lies, and in my mind. God knows Aaliyah and I spend a lot of time talking about music. I think she should be very happy with the selections we made and the guests because the artists themselves made it know how made it know how much they wanted to work with and be a part of her legacy. I pray that she is happy. And Lee would love hearing herself with the current stars of the industry. How would she be happy? She doesn't know who the fuck they are. <laughs> Leah does not know who The Weeknd is. Does not know who Future is. Does not know who Chris Brown is. Or Migos. Or Drake. Or Drake. It doesn't make any sense and also the fact that the estate is not involved and has not signed this off because obviously Barry Hankerson even though he's our uncle he don't fuck with her family for the rest of his family mm. they are, mm. are not happy with this and the fact that you're still doing this and you're just like oh it's about building a legacy no you're just trying to make money it's so mm. it's just such a money grab it's like even the streaming thing like we discussed it with the Jojo thing that even that like that was controversial because I don't think Elise's family is getting any money from these new streams sadly oh wow it's all going to Barry Hankerson and to Black Crown and his new his new artist and like I know, but it was important for Lee's legacy to be on streaming services. It was important, mm. so like it was a, a win lose situation. But for you to say Lee would be happy with these people, you don't know that first of all. Secondly, they weren't around when she died, mm. and it's just like, and even let's kind of quote about her family because um they asked him where is Joppe it? really wants to go in. Yeah, because I'm sorry. Why is... Please. And even and the, art, the artwork is fucking disgusting too. Looking like... Looking like some word art um, Herbal Essences campaign. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Herbal Essences. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's so good though? They... Go on, go on. No, go on. No, I was going to say they released an Aaliyah album commercial. Um, it was an anime thing and it's really good. Um, it's literally called Aaliyah Album Commercial 2021. It's been a long time. Um, and it was released by Background, Blackground Records. Um, but yeah. So the question was, so between the rollout and release of Poison, have you been in contact with Aaliyah's estate? And he said, no, not at all. We hope they're happy. Our door and our fill is always available if there's any comments they'd like to make. Sir, they have made several comments. Several. Several comments i don't know who runs the entity her family your sister anyway but i'm not hostile at all anything that's connected to Aaliyah in a positive way we are open to be involved with. this is the quote that irritated me we hope it's profitable for them first of all so you know it's about money and secondly it's not it's not profitable for them because everything that will be earned from this release is going to you mm-hmm. Aaliyah's mommy's not getting anything from this yeah this man, and also it's fuck you forever because you knew that R. Kelly was messing around with her at 14 years old and he did nothing because it was making you money. You knew, mm. before it went public, before our family knew, you knew R. Kelly was messing around with her, getting her pregnant. You did nothing. And, just, and you were uncle. Mm. So it's forever fuck you. And also, for we did for, for JoJo's career, hell may wash over you for the rest of your life. May you see hell for the rest of your days. For we did to JoJo's career, Tank's career, Tony Braxton's Libra album, it's fuck you forever. Forever wow. and ever. Fuck you. Barry Hankerson. Okay. The Aries really came out. I really appreciate it. You, you went to war for your people. I respect it. Respecting legends. 
Yes, Amir man, <laughs> that's my girl. I love her to death. I love it. I love her. Love, 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 love her. But um, so I must say, do you still want to do the Alicia thing? Because it's too. And uh, we can we can do it quickly. But then, what's the point? Well, I think loads of people are listening to it right now. Okay, we'll do it quickly. Um, so. Lastly, so this is also something else Eden and I are trialing. Well, not really. We've kind of done it before, but we only realized today that we actually call it something, you know. So mm-hmm. in the past, we've done in-depth discussions about Sierra's career, uh, J. Cole's career. Drake's career. Drake's career. And Chris Brown's career. Chris, Did we do Chris Brown? Did we ever do that? Yeah, we did. A very quick one where we spoke about kind of the drop-off and his albums. It oh. was you, Nick, and I at you know, Ryan's studio. But Eden has now said we actually could actually high key call this the section called the deep dive. Deep dive. You called it the deep dive, by the way, not me. It was Eden Mackenzie Goddard. But anyway, um, so we thought we would use this week, obviously in light of Alicia Keys' album dropping last Friday, her seventh studio album called Keys, to discuss a deep dive into her career and how the public perception around her career has changed over the years, especially in the last 10 years, and especially on social media, because I just want to say that it just seems like Black Twitter is more fuck of Alicia Keys. Like, mm-hmm. yes, we have our jokes and everything, but I just feel like you guys out there really do not respect her and the way you guys come for her whenever she does anything is quite strange and then also mm. you once again you act and forget about what she has given us what she's achieved what she's done and it's for a variety of reasons this you know the quality of music has gone down since 2013 2012 like her last solid album was Girl on Fire. Obviously, the title track is horrendous. But the actual album itself is a solid album. But no one would know that because the title track was, was atrocious. But here, has some gems. But overall, was kind of a weak project. Her last album from last year, can't say listen to it twice. Very boring. Very very safe. Did nothing for my soul or my spirit or my shendo. Did nothing. Um, she dropped her album, Keys, last week. And the reason why I want to bring it up is because I'm now realising that there really is a shift going on in her career right now because this album is set to miss the top 20 on the Billboard 200, top 200, which will be her first album to miss the top five, let alone top 10. She's not even going to reach the top five. And it's just like Alicia Keys. This is someone who, Mm. in spite of it all, is still a giant and is still of, you know, artists of that era. She's one of those girls where, yep, she's not going to be having a hit single or whatever, but like, you expect it to at least at least go top 10 because it's still Alicia Keys. But the fact that mm. she's not even going to hit the top 20 this time, it just shows the demand is just, the interest is not there. And it's so strange because even this in particular, she's done bare promo, but no one cares. Mm. No one's talking about it. Like, I never see on my timeline people excited about Alicia Keys. Oh, she's dropping a new single, dropping a new album. Or when I do see her disguised, it's they're saying... They're making fun of her performances, the Calling Girl Home record, or they're saying how boring her sing- her new song is. And it's just like, it's just quite fascinating to see because 
This woman was one of the leading ladies in music throughout the 2000s and early 2010s. And just to see how she's declined, which is natural. She can't stay top forever, but it's the way she's perceived in the public in comparison mm. to her contemporaries. Like, this woman was on the same level as Beyonce and Rihanna, but people act like it's discriminatory to say that. It's like, when actually, no, once again, check the numbers, check the receipts. She was. She was in mm. that number in terms of sales, Grammys, awards, achievements, touring, stuff. Mm. Like, she was on that level. And I always say this, I say this on another episode, that we don't look at her like that because the way she is branded, she is not a pop star. Even though she had pop success, she wasn't a pop star. She was a singer-songwriter, mm. she's a musician, you know, doesn't really wear revealing clothing, she's very much in... So we don't really look at her as being in the number with your Rihanna's and Beyonce's because they are, you know, those... Well, Beyonce's... Rihanna's not a performer, but, you know, they're visual artists. They're visual mm. artists a bit more sexualized, so we see them as the pop stars. Whereas, but Alicia was having the same success as them, if not more in certain areas, but she was mm. just kind of an, an anomaly for mainstream music back then. Um, but yeah, just seeing the how things have changed, and it's just like, and like I said, you're, I go, and I always say this, like, you're fine to throw shade at her performances because the vocals are not what they used to be. I don't know why. Mm. And, and that's true. Yep, that's true. Yes, the music is not what it used to be. That is fine. And I will say this to say it. I actually haven't heard the new album yet. I just feel like I need to be in the mood to, to listen to it. I need to really prepare myself mentally for that. But I have it's heard quite good things. I will say that. It's quite overwhelming. It's 26 songs. She's doing this concept where the first half are the originals and then the second they're called the unlocked, which I believe, so I guess they're more stripped back or different production, which is quite interesting concept. But I don't think that's how she should have rolled it out. Someone said, I can't remember who, someone said she should have released the original album first, then maybe like a year later do the unlocked version. of the. I think that mm. would have made more sense. But having them yeah. together, and then also from what I'm hearing, apparently some of the unlocked versions are better than the original. Some people are saying that she should have just mixed the best of both sides and made that mm. the album. Because I'm hearing good things. Like Some people are saying it's boring, some people can't get into it. But then I feel, as a fan of her, but also someone who is a spectator, this is the most positive stuff I've heard about her music in a long time. I'm hearing more people mm. say good things about this <laughs> album. So I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So maybe Alicia's got her sense together because I just don't know what's happened. Because mm. it's like, I just don't know what's happened. And I just feel like even, there are so many producers and artists that are out that I feel like are in her lane. But I feel like she's just really, really going into more pop focused stuff like why the fuck is she working with Killeen 21 Savage why the fuck are you doing that we have the internet well, here a... we have Thundercat that is who Alicia Keys should be working with these these newer pro- progenitors of soul and funk because that's what you were my my dear 2001 when Songs and I came out you were a child of the newest generation you were a child of Johnny Hathaway Roberta Flack Steve Wonder but now you're giving me Black Sarah Bareilles you're giving me you're, you're giving me um Black um Madeline advert. I just. <laughs> All right. So there are quite a few things that I'm interested in when it comes to her career, because for me, my experience with Alicia Keys was, you know, she was the girl with the piano and she was the one who, you know, everyone was in love with Alicia Keys with the braids. And, you know, her music was very kind of emotive. And at a certain point, I would say it's around the Empire State of Mind kind of era for me personally. She kind of lost that. That's when I started to hear yelling and screaming. And for me, 
when I heard her sing, it actually really hurt me to hear her sing That's because I rude. felt like her, th- her throat must really be burning when she's singing. Um, so when I was listening to some of her music, I'm just like, ah, this is painful to listen to. Not necessarily all the way sonically, like, cause she did hit some of the notes that she was singing, but there was pain that I was feeling when she was singing. But with regards to her career, I think part of the element of that is, um, I feel, and this is just kind of me going on my intuition, but I feel like there is an element of reluctance to being that pop girl, that kind of, um, that that person who sells sex in the same way that like Rihanna, Beyonce and like Nicki, Nicki Minaj and all of the pop girls do um, as a result of, you know, so many different dynamics and the music industry as a whole. Um, Alicia Keys has never kind of done that. I can't even think about Alicia Keys in those types of situations. Um, and I feel like if she had done, she might have got that kind of more of a, a, um, a recognition for kind of, who she is and kind of the level that she's on um and i and with her album art i was just going through it just kind of looking at different images on her albums and in terms of recreation it's very similar to rihanna for example like a new hairstyle every single album that comes out that was something that you know you can relate to rihanna you know shaved heads red hair um all of the different hairstyles that rihanna had throughout her career whereas alicia keys is more of a natural kind of approach to it she had braids and she had um uh what did she have after that she had braids and on one of her albums i think it's called hair she had an afro um and then she kind of got rid of makeup and you know different looks for different albums and stuff like that but i don't think it really worked to really separate alicia keys the like visual version of alicia keys from the music and after a while, you know, with this whole Swiss beat situation, which I personally just think is none of anyone's business. I don't understand why that is the focus. But it clearly people. has had a massive impact on public perception these last 10 years. Oh, yeah, 100%. But that is going back to very similar, like the Janet Jackson situation and how, you know, yeah, you guys know what I'm going to say with that situation. But um, I don't understand why that is such a massive factor to why people don't why people are so negative towards her yes you can have you can disagree with certain aspects of someone's life and all of the above but is it is it really that deep for you at home listening to her is it really that deep um so there was definitely that fall off and then like her music definitely declined and i I feel like the difference is alicia keys had a dedicated fan base which was there which was there for just her music like yeah we thought she was attractive yeah we thought that you know, very good to look at. And, and yes, above, she had light skin her, privilege. And she had light skin privilege as well. But the music matched a lot of kind of the um, admiration. Like she deserved the praise. It wasn't kind of something where you're like, why is she up there just because she's pretty, all of the above, pretty privilege and all of the above. No, it was earned. when you listen to her music, it was very much earned. She wrote her songs. Produced her she songs. She played the piano, all of the above. And, you know, she had a great career. But it's kind of as things have gone on, it's kind of like I get a feeling of she doesn't know her direction anymore. And that's why this whole situation with the two different versions of one song on an album, to me, really illustrates the fact that she's not entirely sure what people want from her and or what she wants to give out into the world. Um, And I find the Khalid thing you said really interesting because I see it from a very different angle. I think if she wanted this album to chart, she should have got some of the new school people on it. 
I definitely think if she, like I, I don't even know if just R and B by itself. Like, why is Pusha T the very first song on the album? <laughs> I, I honestly can't get past it. Why is Pusha T the very first song on the album? Like, who do you want to listen to this album? <laughs> no, but to know, but for real though, who do you want to listen to this album? Because you got Pusha T, and then the other feature is Khalid. So, what is the who is the audience that you're trying to cater to? There are loads of different artists that you could use. But this is my thing, Eden McKenzie Goddard. So when we look at Alicia Keys' career, especially the beginning of her career, when you look at the music she was making, like I said earlier, she was a child of the neo-soul boom. Like she was coming mm. out peak, you know, after D'Angelo and Erica and Maxwell. She was a soul girl. She was a mm. soul singer. Like even her first mm. album was originally going to be called Soul Stories in A Minor, but her label said it was too black, but that's for another day. Anyway, history, guys. Mm. Um, but she was a soul girl. But I think that herself and her label did not expect her to cross over in the way she did. She was a, a massive, she had massive pop success, which I don't think they were expecting. Obviously... And she held it up for the first four albums. She was doing these, she was having hit singles, number one singles, mm. but selling gazillion records, doing music that kind of what really wasn't mainstream. Like mm. it was R&B soul. It wasn't like R&B pop. She wasn't doing songs of Sean Paul. She wasn't doing songs of the Yin Yang Twins. She was making soulful music and it was mainstream. Mm. And I think in the, at the beginning of the 2010s, when R&B was starting to decline commercially anyway, she struggled because she was like, okay, I know in my heart I'm a soul, jazz, funk girl, but I've had this massive pop success for the last 10 years. I now have to maintain that. And I think that is when the issue started with her artistry. Because like I said, she just started giving me black Sarah Bareilles. I'm trying to think of who were these generic white girls. That's what I have in my head right now. But mm -hmm. she just started to give me, basically, Felicia Keys tried to be like Coldplay. That was, that's what she was trying to give me. No shade to them, mm -hmm. but you know what, you know what I mean? She was really mm. trying to just be, find these mainstream pop-leaning versions of what Alicia Keys was. And it just kind of... Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. And they just got worse and worse. Like, why are you doing songs... Yeah. Why are you doing songs with Nicki Minaj, my dear? Why? Why? Yeah. And then now I look up... Do you know... Hold on, hold on. I mean, <laughs> so I think she struggled with that. And I, th I think that at this point, she is going to unfortunately peter out of major conversation in comparison to Beyonce and Rihanna. Because even though Beyonce is obviously wildly talented, and even even her myself, I I, I feel like she she should could be she should be doing more mature music. And she has with lemonade and self-title, mm. but even she does a bit some stupid moments like with DJ Khaled, but you know that's fine. But she can get away with it more because she's a pop star. That's kind of always mm. been it's not out of the the order for her to do something like that. Or Rihanna, you know what I mean? Whereas Alicia mm -hmm. Keys so basically, Beyonce can get away with Girl on Fire. Alicia Keys can't. Rihanna can get away with Underdog. Alicia Keys can't. Because that's because Alicia Keys has this resolute responsibility for being the musician of her generation, for being the artist of her generation, the more authentic, inverted commas. You know what I mean? That's how she's been packaged these last 20 years. But she's really been struggling. I feel like, and I think you're right. She, I don't think she knows what the public wants from her. But my thing is, I think she kind of needs to do away with the trying to be a pop star thing because you're 20 years in the game now. Once again, you're solidified, you're solid, you're here. This is you. And I just think that there's been such a resurgence of great R&B music, soul music, funk music, jazz fusion music. 
And once again, Alicia is a musician. You are a classically trained musician. You know about chord progressions and modulations. You can really be creating some incredible shit. And you're out here giving me underdog. Meanwhile, the likes of Thun... <laughs> and you're out here giving me underdog. <laughs> Like Alicia could really, Alicia could really be giving us some of the most experimental, ambitious music of her career right now. Like, you should be working with like Knowledge and Thundercat and the Free Nationals and Heights Coyote. Like mm. that Matt Marshes. That's Ooh. that's who Alicia Keys should be working with in terms of like obviously making sure you're sounding current and fresh, but staying true to who you actually are. Mm. Th- that's who you're working yeah. with. That's what. You, that's yeah. where like. That's the space you should be in. Meriba, like, that's who you, you should Ooh. be. Like, imagine Alicia yeah. Keys and Meriba doing, like, writing together. Like, Ari Lennox, Ooh, like, that's... that is the space you should be in, I feel, mm. my dear. But you're out here giving me songs of fucking Sway Lee at your big age. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. And you said something interesting, though, because it made me think. You said that Beyonce could do... What song was it? Um, Girl on Fire, Underdog. Girl on Fire. She'll still get dragged, but she can get away with it. Yeah, because I was thinking, what song does Beyonce have that is very similar to Girl on Fire? Irreplaceable, Halo. No, no, no. Halo is what came to mind. And then I thought to myself, could Alicia Keys do Halo? And I think she could. I think she could. I don't know why it doesn't work the other way around, but I think she could. But I also wanted to say that with Alicia Keys, you're right. You are right. She did do it right in some areas. Like, for example, with the element of freedom where she had um, Try Sleeping With a Broken Heart, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. That is very pop-esque, but it still has its roots firmly placed in R&B. Yeah. Like, that... in, the, in the kind of lyrics. Yeah. So... No, but even the music, because a lot of that album was very inspired by the 80s. And I said earlier that her, she worked well with Jeff Basker on songs like Love Is Blind, um, yep. Love Is a Disease. Like, I love that album. And she was really able to mix like 80s pop synth funk with her own thing and still be contemporary. And that worked. But then later on, and that's not to say, because even the Here album, there were some gems on that album. There were some great songs. Mm. She Don't Really Care, The Gospel Point. There were some great, so I'm not saying that to say that she's made completely crap these last couple of albums. There are great songs in each of her last albums. Even this last album from last year, there's a few good songs in there, but overall the album's Mm. forgettable. And this new one, this 27-song symphony you've given us, I haven't heard it yet. I'm hearing some good things. But the singles didn't do anything for me. I didn't even know there were singles. Exactly. This is what I'm saying. No, There's just no hype or interest in her. And it's so bizarre to see to me because this is one of our... She's one of our legends. She's one of our contemporary legends. Well, Well, here's the thing. You say it's surprising to you, but it's not surprising to me whatsoever. And the reason I say that is because I, I, it's like in the back of my mind, I know how big Alicia Keys is. But in my reality, I'm just like, if I don't see her, <laughs> that's just part of the experience. Because I feel like she is, she's massive. She's huge. But it's like, you know how, how people don't include Usher in certain conversations mm-hmm. when it comes to R&B. Alicia Keys is that becoming very that similar person. To that. Yeah, it's very similar to that. Like, I'll even say that Usher's probably had probably the exact same kind of career um, trajectory with, you know, he went into kind of EDM 
once he saw like Chris Brown and all of the young R&B artists kind of go into that and we got um what's it called DJ got us falling mm-hmm. in love oh my mm-hmm. god and um all of the mm-hmm. others uh, what's the other one called Euphoria. there's another one um uh, whatever they were trash all of all of those songs that came out and everything Alicia Keys kind of went down that route as well and I'm not joking guys it hurt to listen to her sing some of the songs live because yeah it just didn't work um and speaking on Usher I think she's I don't think it's discussed enough but while she's trying to really get with the kids and the TikTok people I think I don't think Alicia Keys has realized she's lost her core audience She's lost her core audience, I think. I don't think she's. I don't think she has them anymore. And it shows the fact that she's not even going to talk to any of this next album, this this new album. I think she's lost yeah. her core audience because, and this is my thing. She should be aging into the urban AC realm now. She should be there with the Layla Hathaways and the Legacies, but being the big bitch of them all because she's coming from the mainstream background. So she she should be mm. dominating those airwaves. But but you're yeah, giving me nonsense. You said collaborating with Sway Lee. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. If Alicia Keys came out 2001 with Fallen, A Woman's Worth, and you told me 20 times she'd be doing some of fucking Sway Lee, I'd be like, you're lying. <laughs> and 21 Savage. <laughs> and and like I said, it just it just disgusts me because I'm like, there's so many contemporary artists who are dope and who it actually makes sense for you to be working with, but you're not working with them. Mm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anderson Pack and Alicia Keys need to be in the studio together. Well, not Six Sonic Anderson Pack, yeah. but you know what I mean. But even that, even yeah. that, even Bruno, I'll accept. And they have actually worked together, Alicia Keys and Bruno. But like, even that would make more sense. Mm. Would make more sense. If you imagine Alicia on Spoken on the Window, I can imagine her on something like that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be sick, actually. But no. Yeah. You're out here giving me underdog. I'm going to say it again. Wait, leave, the, leave the door open would have been great. It, even well. that too. But you're out here giving... See, DeMaio, another producer. So that's something too. There's even so many other producers, let alone artists. There are producers that she should be working with and could be working with, and she's not. And I'm confused as to why. Mm. I'm just. I wonder. I'm, I'm just interested in how much of that is kind of influenced by Swizz Beats. That's presence. that's definitely another factor too. I definitely think Swizz Beats needs to stay out of the studio. Yeah, I'm just intrigued by that because I wonder if she is kind of around a lot of his inspirations mm-hmm. now because they're together. Because I imagine his music is very like boom back. Yeah, they're very different artists. Kind of engages with. Yeah, but then saying that, Jay Z and Beyonce. Uh, in terms of how much he influenced um, Beyonce, it's visible, but it wasn't a cop out. Yeah, what I mean, it was still, it was still yeah, Beyonce. I still get a sense that Beyonce has her own. But the thing is, this is the difference. I think that you said yourself, Alicia Keys doesn't know what to do or who what people want from her. I feel yes, there's definitely been Jay Z's influence on Beyonce's career musically, but I feel Blow and Beyond is still her vision. Self-titled mm. is her vision. Lemonade was her vision. The Gift was her vision. Yes, Jay-Z had some necessary features. Yeah, cool, whatever. Is she rapping a bit too much nowadays sometimes? Fine. But I get a grand sense that this is, like, she is there with her collaborators and her team, like, this is what I want. This is what we're going to do. Mm. Whereas Alicia's just like, hey, we're just vibing. I saw her smoking weed with J. Cole. Like, what are you doing, my dear? <laughs> You're... <laughs> Oh man, you do not. You're not rating her. And thankfully, the song all. didn't make the album, but they did a song together, and there's a slip of a YouTube. Like, well, thank God, it wasn't good anyway. 
<laughs> I saw her smoking weed with J. Cole. <laughs> and you're, no, it's and you're really struggling for notes and you're smoking weed. Okay. <laughs> Do you know what? Um, it's a shame that this is the last episode of the season because it would have been interesting for us to say all of this and then be completely blown away. But imagine the album is just fire. But the thing, <laughs> no, but the thing is, the thing is, it's, and obviously I don't know, and I won't listen to it, and I am going to listen to it, and I will tweet about it on the account when I do. But I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I have a feeling I'm, there probably will be some songs that I like because the thing is, there will always be songs by Lizzie that I like on every album. She will always have a good five, six songs for me. Always. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, I've heard more good things about this album than I have her last three. So I actually am intrigued. But I have an overwhelming feeling that I'm overall going to be overall eh again. Yeah. I feel like she yeah. needs to go away for a long time, reflect. I don't, but then it's sort of understand because I don't, I don't know. But my thing is like, there's literally so many artists, producers that you could be working with that makes sense. Like yeah. Steve Lacey. Lishki's collaboration. Give me some nice Prince in fight inspired Rick James funk shit. Do it. Do it. Yeah. Robert Glasper, why has that not happened? Why have you and Robert yeah. Glasper not worked together yet, my dear? Why? Why? We're out here once mm. again with Sway Lee and 21 Savage. And Khalid. Weed with J. Cole. <laughs> I just don't get it. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> Oh man, I'm I'm envisioning you going on your phone and just seeing a picture on Instagram of her in the studio of J. Cole smoking and you're just there like <laughs> this is what you're doing. <laughs> Weed <laughs> J. Cole. <laughs> oh, at man. least at least let it be like Duckworth or Mick Jenkins or something. Yeah. Please. And, and it, not yeah. even J. Cole ten years ago, J. Cole now, because that diggers shit now. Oh no! <laughs> it wasn't even the warm up J Cole. It wasn't even first was drive J Cole. It's it, it's KOD J Cole. And they, mm, mm. Mm. <laughs> All right, so cool. We're gonna listen to this album and then we're gonna share our thoughts on the Twitter account. So if you want to hear the conclusion of this whole conversation, D A T S P O D is where you can find it. Twitter, Instagram, all social media platforms. I think we're going to end it there. Yes, we are. Because um, we're almost two hours into the episode and I have to edit this. So, <laughs> so cool. Guys, you know what? We came back after a long hiatus. Um, obviously, Nick isn't here and he was very much missed this season. Um, and there were certain parts where I was thinking, I'd love to hear Nick's perspective on this, especially in the Alicia Keys kind of conversation. Um, but we want to say a massive thank you to every single person who really kind of asked us continuously when we were coming back. Um like we've spoken about the pressures of podcasting in kind of a coronavirus world and you know with everything that's going on being kind of part upon by work and social expectations and life and all of the above and you know working that out but we're always so grateful to every single person who takes even 20 minutes if you don't listen to the whole thing we understand that but um even 20 minutes of your day just to tune into our podcast to, to hear us talk about what we're passionate about which is music um and hopefully you can hear it in what we're saying that this art form is doing so much in terms of healing us and being there for us in our kind of journeys our individual journeys and we hope we're doing it justice by talking about music in depth and really talking to you directly about these experiences with music so we're going to close out the show and say thank you guys very much for tuning in to don't let the stands this season is is it's been the opportunity for a lot of things to change 
and I, and from my experience and kind of speaking to Shope, it's been a great journey because we're looking at the show differently. We're interacting with the show in different ways. We're kind of bringing new ideas and having different conversations. So, Shope, do you have anything you want to say before we close out? I just want to say thank you all to those who have stuck with us, who have listened to us and have been patient with us. And those of you who are hopefully going to be open to these changes and transitionings that we're, transitions that we're currently working on and working towards curating. And um, no, I appreciate you guys more than you know that you listen to me ramble and talk shit and stuff. And yeah, just thank you. Cool. All right, so we'll end it there. So guys, have an amazing Christmas or happy holidays or any kind of relaxation that you get during this period. Um, we hope that you guys are safe and you keep safe while Onika and Omarion are kind of going around the city right now. Um, but please do keep safe. Please keep listening to music and please just keep in contact with us and let us know about, you know, what you're listening to. Introduce us to new music from around the world. I'm seeing we've got a massive kind of percentage listen in india at the moment which is really interesting so if anyone out there is listening to this podcast feel free to send us recommendation of what you're listening to in your country or any country whatsoever and um, we'll take a listen and until next time guys we'll catch up soon this has been done like the stands my name is eden we've also got cool and nick sends his love peace and love guys peace